0: Hey friends, just a quick note before we hop into today's episode of the podcast. Majority of you guys listening right now have not given us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and it takes legitimately between five and 10 seconds to hit the follow button, hit the five-star review button, so I'd greatly appreciate you guys doing so if you have not done so already. And then something all of you guys can do right now is share today's episode with a friend, a family member, a teammate, someone who you think would find value and benefit from it. I would greatly appreciate you guys doing that sharing the podcast sharing today's episode with someone because through that we can expand the show and reach new people and hopefully through that inspire them in the process without further ado let's get into today's conversation Isaiah Harris, welcome to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing this afternoon?
1: I'm doing great. Today was my cross-training slow morning day, so I'm feeling good.
0: You talked about uh, earlier this morning, I think you did some like cold plunge type things and then went in the hot tub, some uh, Huberman Lab approved (laughs) (laughs) techniques. Who's the biggest sissy on the team when it comes to like cold stuff?
1: Um, Our coach, Danny. (laughs) He's always like asking to do it and then he's always the first one out he gets out within 10 to 15 seconds every time but he does it so re- a little bit of respect there
0: isn't he like doesn't he have like a belt in like MMA or something
1: no <laughs> no he does jujitsu. jitsu jitsu I'm not sure what color or if it's even a belt system to be honest I don't really know much about jiu <laughs> but he, he goes every week and he's he's solid from what I've heard
0: because I was gonna say it seems like the cold plunge thing is like right up their alley like I don't know. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of surprised there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be to be fair, Josh loves to like turn the the cold tub down as cold as possible. I really, mean, he's got a really nice one that gets down to 32 degrees. So, <laughs> I think today we're at like 39 or 40, and yeah, it's it's pretty tough.
0: And how often do you do that kind of stuff?
1: Uh, usually once a week for like a plunge, and then like cold showers. I try to do every single day.
0: Is that from listening to people like Huberman or is that from just like your own personal desire to to do it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I heard about it through Huberman, I think, and then just kind of saw the trend everywhere. Um, But also last year when I came down to Albuquerque, Josh had already been doing it with a a group of people here. So it kind of just became like a, a Wednesday routine. And yeah, since then it's just stuck and it's fun.
0: For those who don't know who Huberman is, we're referencing uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman. He's a neuroscientist for Stanford. I just don't want the listeners to be like, Huberman, what are they talking about? <laughs> is this some coach that Isaiah has? Um, in yeah, relation fair. to these things... Do you think there's more of a benefit mentally than physically, or at least, you know, there's been like debates throughout ages of time, the benefit physically of like cold stuff, cold showers, cold plunges, but something that I think is just hard to argue against is the benefit that it brings you mentally of just doing something hard, which as a world class runner, you're doing hard stuff all the time, but do you find a benefit of, you know, flipping the switch on the shower switch and just mentally it's strengthening you in that way?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm no scientist, but... I definitely feel like there is benefit. I mean, like you said, the mental part is is one of the biggest things. It's, you never want to do it and it's forcing yourself to kind of do something hard, but then you finish and you feel like so much better. And I think like just learning that lesson is important. And I mean, it transfers over into running too. Like a lot of people, you know, you're nervous to, to go out to race, you know, it's gonna hurt, but like the feeling you get when you run well is incredible and it kind of translates well with the the cold plunge. Physically, I'm sure I'm sure there's some benefits. I mean, even just like helping with inflammation or whatnot. But yeah, the mental part's probably the biggest thing for us.
0: Isaiah, there are many things I want to ask you about uh in today's conversation, but perhaps at the top of the list is um something that you've gotten into recently or at least uh were a part of, which is uh taking down hornets' nests. Can you uh, elaborate on this? <laughs>
1: Uh, Yeah, I was actually doing like a little podcast with some Brooks people yesterday and I come out of the room and just like see through the glass doors, Henry and Josh fighting some hornets swinging ping pong paddles and Josh is holding a leaf blower and I'm like, what the hell is going on out there? So I go out and apparently there's a hornet's nest that's infiltrated Josh's fountain. So they're trying some crazy tactics to get it out. We didn't get stung and we got it out. So I'd say it was successful.
0: What was the, what was the technique that, that got it down? Was it the, was it the blower? Was it a ping pong paddle? Take me through what you so, think was the winning strategy.
1: The leaf blower was pretty clutch. Cause anytime the the hornets got close, you turn that on and they flew away. So we got them to, to all kind of fly away. We got into the fountain, scraped out the the nest and then ran with it and threw it over the fence. <laughs>
0: Outside of, uh, taking down Hornets nest, what are some of your favorite things to do up at altitude in Albuquerque when you're not running or training or, uh, taking a cold plunge?
1: Honestly, the point of coming to Albuquerque is, is to just fully focus on training and it gets hard. So a lot of the day is spent just recovering, honestly. Um, just staying off the feet, napping, (laughs) like trying to just recover as best as possible. But, um, I mean, I always have my dog down here, so he keeps me busy. Take him on walks, like do whatever I can around here. And then um, just this last camp, I decided I needed to give up gaming and try to learn a new hobby, be a little more productive. So I bought a keyboard and have been practicing that, and that's been taking up a lot of time.
0: Is that uh, Nia Aiken's influence? That is fully Nia Aiken's influence.
1: In fact, she inspired Henry to try the guitar, marty to try to drums so we're gonna have a band coming along soon
0: i know i think she said brooks beats was that the name yeah that floated around you
1: know, the, yeah the brooks beats i think that, that's what we're going with
0: i love it i love it <laughs> i'd love to to hone in on the aspect of of going up to camp uh because it's something that you hear athletes talk about all the time and in interviews or, or podcasts with myself or other people just the aspect of going to a place that's not their home and just dialing in essentially can you speak to that aspect specifically leading into championship races and how beneficial you think it is to just dial in lock in and make sure your you know focus and intent is in the right spot
1: yeah i mean there's no distractions when you come to camp there's you leave all your friends and family behind and you're coming here to get fit and um especially this time coming with the world champs approaching um I talked to Josh and he's just like, it's metal mindset. And like, that's, that's the goal. So we're both just like, you know, holding each other accountable. We also have our other teammate Henry down here who didn't make the world team, but is running really well. And he's kind of like in that same mindset of wanting to have the best summer he can. So yeah, we're all just holding each other accountable down here. You know, we're trying to make sure we're eating right. We're going to bed early. We're napping, we're doing the cold plunges and, and then we're training hard.
0: Can you speak to the aspect of, of having those guys, Josh and Henry, around you to, to push you, to keep your, you on your A-game? Not that you couldn't come to Albuquerque alone and, and uh, successfully accomplish these things that you mentioned, but I think being in an environment of excellence and uh, being in an environment where a guy's talking about getting a medal, you know, medal mindset, as you just said, how uh, beneficial has that been to surround yourself with these individuals?
1: I think having a team around you is so, so important. It's so much easier to just like do everything right and hold yourself accountable every day because you have so many other people around you doing the same thing. I mean, you look at any like elite sports program and like when they're good, they stay good over time because like the mindset of the team is like, we're going to win. And that mindset is contagious and it spreads. And like you start to believe like, oh, I can win. And when you think like that, you know, things, things happen and you kind of manifest things. So it's, it's amazing. And I've been on the other side of it with the pro running training alone, um, for the first three years of my pro career. And I just realized that I wasn't enjoying it as much. And I've been so happy since I've joined the Brooks team. So yeah, it's, it's super important to have disciplined and, you know, optimist, optimistic people around you.
0: You mentioned kind of the, the aspect of, of teams that win, they win more, and they kind of have those mindsets of winning and, and the attributes that lead to winning. Are there any sports or like any individuals from other sports that you've looked up to over the years that you've taken things from from what they've done and tried to apply it to your own running? Like for me, like Kobe, MJ, those guys watching The Last Dance, recently watching the Ducky Series quarterback. I think there are so many parallels between other sports and our own and just some of the killer mindsets that some of these individuals have. Is there anyone that comes to your mind when I bring that up?
1: It's hard to say one person for that because I feel like I can draw inspiration from like so many people at that level. I definitely, I listened to some Kobe like motivational hype videos before USA's cause I mean, he was just a dog and, but there's just so many athletes at that level that have that mindset. And then as you start to hear it more often, you're like, damn, like to be successful, you have to have that mindset, like you have to believe in yourself, you have to work hard. So there's there's a lot of people. I mean, even like some rappers and musicians um, like you hear it in their music and like I get inspired hearing like stories of people that kind of came from nothing and made a name for themselves because that that I mean, I can relate to that. Um, So, yeah, um, there's a lot of inspiration out there.
0: My favorite part of uh, my Instagram feed recently has been some Kobe motivational videos. And there was one I came across the other day. Of course, they always got that like hype instrumental music in the background to add to it and, and different editing styles and things that make it way more hype. So it'll sound less hype when I actually say what he said. But he was talking about um, teammates and people in, in the sport of basketball, lolly gigging during scrimmages. And uh, he was just basically saying how he's like 110% every single day. And uh, the one line that got me was like, he essentially said, if you're lollygagging, um, you know, in scrimmage, I'm going to, you know, beat you so bad. And the exact words he used was, I'm going to, I'm going to want you to reconsider your professional life choice. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, "Yeah, bro did not hold back.
1: Kobe was like toxic levels of like just dedication. Side note, are you Canadian? I'm not, no. The way you say lollygagging, you say
0: yeah, Kinda I kind of like I kind of Canadian. tripped over my my words there. So no. Proud, proud American. <laughs> uh, I wish I was. Man, it's actually interesting. The amount of uh good Americans who came from Canada first. Graham Fisher, I feel like there are all sorts of uh different different examples. And then even um recently, top high schooler this year, Simeon Birnbaum, very few people know it, but he was born in Canada and then moved to the States. Really? Yeah, three fifty seven guy. Had
1: quite the year. He's he's good. Yeah, he's he's legit.
0: Is it cool seeing high schoolers these days just run ridiculous times or maybe not cool and being like, oh, man, I would have gotten cooked back in the day.
1: (laughs) I mean, I feel like all the people that are pro now, if we went back and like had the same access to like what people do at the top level, like I feel like social media media has made, you know, training a lot more accessible and like these kids know how to train a lot better. So I I think that, like, we would all be comparatively as good. But it is, like, shocking to see, like, some of the times they're putting up. But the bar just keeps getting raised, and it just makes everyone else run faster. So it's cool, and it's fun. I watched, like, Nike Cross Nationals. I watched Brooks PR. Um, I enjoy, like, watching the sport and seeing the future of the sport.
0: You said there, in reference to your high school years, like, I've heard this all the time people say that with social media people just train better now And I think it's one thousand percent true for you when you reflect on that for yourself personally was that? uh, Training too hard was that like not doing enough like take me through what you think you would have done differently
1: I started off doing track just to like kind of stay in shape for basketball. I always wanted to play basketball that was my dream like go to the NBA Yeah, I just ended up like doing really well my first year in track. I don't think I was training too hard. I definitely think I was probably training too little. I mean, there's a lot of times where we kind of skip some runs to like go play basketball or go play 2K in my friend's basement or even like go play some ultimate frisbee. So kind of slacked a little bit the first like two years. But once I started getting like college letters and realized that like track could take me somewhere, I started to put a little more... Uh, time and attention into it and stopped skipping some of those runs and yeah um, I definitely think I probably could have done more mileage and maybe having like other people to train with would have
0: helped in relation to to kind of screwing around on some of these easy days and go go and play 2k at your friend's basement or playing ultimate frisbee whatnot do you almost think that it's actually a positive that you did those things that you kept the sport light and fun and weren't too serious because I hear you say that, and then I also hear an opposite of, like, a Connor Burns, a Simeon Birnbaum who talk about, you know, running the ridiculous mileage they do and the workouts they do. And obviously I think and I hope they'll have long, successful careers. But also in my mindset, we got to take into account the the mental – strain that being all in can take if you're doing it for such an extended period of time so do you think potentially that you're actually benefiting from not being too serious earlier on or do you think you would be uh better than Jakob Ingabritzen if you started when you were six like him
1: (laughs) um man it's hard to tell like i think people are smarter about recovery and like the spikes and the training shoes are all better so like it's a little bit easier to train harder early and stay healthy But like you said, the mindset and, like, the pressure of, like, doing well for so long gets to some people. And, you know, I hope Simeon has a long career and stays healthy. But, yeah, he's got to, like, continue to find joy and and fun in the sport. Um, But, yeah, I think you can take both approaches and still be successful. I don't think you necessarily need to, you know – wait till college to get serious. I think you can take it serious in high school and then still have a long and successful career.
0: I don't mean to make this a Simeon Birnbaum podcast, but uh, one, <laughs> one final topic that I would love to to get your opinion on in relation to him as you were talking about watching a lot of the high school meets and kind of staying in touch with this sport. I'm sure you saw it because it blew up everyone's social media feeds uh, and Nike Outdoor Nationals when he did this sh- and uh, Connor and Simeon, which a lot of this originated on the podcast Deem themselves the villains and Lex and Leo young the heroes and there was back and forth there. Thoughts on beef within the sport and just different things like that.
1: I love beef within the sport and as I've noticed lately, it's like the old track fans that don't care for that. But it's so it just adds so much excitement to it. Like I saw that. I saw them like trash talking each other and that made me excited to watch the race. I'm like, all right, let's see how this plays out. And I think like everyone in our generation would agree with that. Um yeah it's kind of like the older outdated track fans that tend to have problems with that beef but yeah it's good for the sport
0: Simeon shared on the podcast after his race that an official and a few people pulled him aside and, and told him it wasn't cool to do that. And uh, basically, like, they were potentially going to DQ him. And he just dropped him with the hardest line of all time. I'm not sure how respectful it is, but he just said, like, go ahead, do it. We all know who won. We all know who was the best runner today. <laughs> like, something to the extent of that. I'm like, man, I'm like, you're not wrong. <laughs> He's like, yeah. if you DQ me, everyone knows I still won fair and square. So I was like, yeah. So. No,
1: nah, I love the confidence, yeah,
0: I feel like it's one thing to like beef. It's another to have the guts to start beef. Would you ever start beef, or do you think you're the type of person who would? Because it's a hard thing to do, like even if you like it, I feel like it's hard to hard to start up,
1: yeah, I mean, I think if I started beef, people would just know it's it's fake <laughs> my personality I'm just like i'm I'm friends with everyone or mostly everyone in the sport, so it it definitely wouldn't be legit, but um. Yeah, I've always thought about it, maybe like starting something just to like get a little more attention, but <laughs> never, never felt or followed through with that.
0: Uh, we we're talking about podcasts but before the, the start of this and a podcast episode I really enjoyed was Centro went on uh, Cameron Haynes's podcast. And I don't listen to Cam Haynes podcast, but because Centro went on, the guy's never done a podcast in his life. I was like, oh, I got to listen to this. And a absolutely fantastic podcast. And one of, the, one of the stories that Centro shared was he would, in the call room before a lot of these big races, he would go up to random people and he would ask what their 800-meter PR is or 400-meter PR, and they'd tell him. And he said, great, you better get ready to close on that today. And I thought, one, that's hilarious, but two, in relation to social media today how could you do that like outside the fact like if you picked someone from the field <laughs> as brutal as it would be you're like your pr is like 152 and it's like get ready to close in that today imagine how many people would like if Jakob ingervidson did that can you imagine like people would go nuts um yeah so i
1: think it's i respect people that talk trash like that because it's so hard to back it up in this sport like you know, every race is different. Anything could happen. And like you have to have that, that full confidence in yourself if you're gonna say something like that. Um, but yeah, I think if we saw Jakob say something like that, that that would get all the eyes on the race and everyone would tune into that. I mean, I think the fifteen hundred, the men's fifteen hundred this year is like the perfect event for people to start talking trash. Like everyone's running super well. This is like this year's insane, just with how many people have gone sub three thirty. Um, that final is going to be, it's going to be spicy and Jakob's been running the best, but we'll see who's the best on that day.
0: That's the thing about the sport. You can knock it out nine times out of 10, but if you don't have it on the day, like last year at world champs, like you didn't have it on the day, you lost. And, uh, that's, that's our sport. You got to execute on the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I actually just watched that race last night. And if you look closely at 200 to go, when Whiteman makes his move, Jakob, like, glanced up at the big screen so he didn't see Whiteman making his move and I think Jakob had the energy to hold him off had he known that Whiteman was going but it kind of caught him off guard a little bit it's really subtle but if you look closely you can see that
0: NFL players talk all the time about like studying the film uh you talked to watching that race not that the 15 is your primary event but is that something you try to do watch old races watch your own races just kind of study uh your film in your own way
1: yeah uh i mean i enjoy watching my old races and like taking notes and you know learning from everything even the good races or the bad but uh yeah i'm also living with josh kerr so he might have been doing a little film watching (laughs) and i was just a participant
0: something you were talking about in relation to the 15 is just how good it is this year i was i wasn't shocked whenever someone runs fast these days i'm never shocked i'm more like whoa that was crazy the london diamond league what was it like 12 guys ran 332 or faster i was like it's crazy the amount of depth never seen before
1: yeah yeah that's what i'm saying it's gonna be a crazy crazy final and yeah that's one i'm looking forward to watching
0: in relation to your own event the 800 correct me if i'm wrong you could be like dominic you're absolutely wrong on this i feel like it's one of the more open events in terms of like what's up for grabs I think the 15, everyone knows the top guys, Uh, the 5K, like everyone knows the top guys, 10K, the same thing. I feel at 100, 200, 400, I feel like the eight is the one event where like there are guys that people would probably expect to make the final, but when they're in the final, it's like they're all separated by such small margins and I feel like people just race up and down all the time that it's kind of hard to predict who's going to do what. So what's your own kind of perspective on your own event and and how how it's uh, at in the world stage right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. It is like, it's kind of a weird year with um, career kind of, I think he's just been running like 149, 150. I don't know what's going on with him. Um, But yeah, there's always a few Kenyans that, you know, run 143. Um, There's been people that have put up fast times, but like, I think the rounds really, they hurt some people. So some of the people that can run one fast time aren't necessarily going to be able to do it the final day. Um so yeah it's kind of I look at it as as it's wide open and my goal is just to make that final and then from there it's like anything can happen anyone's beatable.
0: You made the world championship team in London which is funny we're just talking about the city of London uh in 2017 what are some of the lessons you're taking away from that experience as you go into Budapest this year?
1: Yeah. I mean back then I was so young it was my sophomore year of college. Um I was just like I didn't know what i was doing to be honest and i was pretty burnt out by the time i got there just from racing that whole college season um so now it's like all right i've trained all year with the goal of making the world team in mind. back in college it was like i'm training to win big tens and maybe win regionals and maybe win nationals but now it's like all right i'm training to make the world team and win a medal at worlds so um definitely feeling a lot better prepared um haven't raced as much my body's feeling really good and like i just know the cycle of our coaches trying to peak us is timed up for this so uh yeah it's it's exciting knowing that i made the semifinals um in 2017 but yeah this year it's make the final
0: is the goal to to win medals is it make the final is it we'll take it one round at a time can you kind of speak to, (laughs) to what you're looking to do going into the event
1: yeah well first step is make the final um gotta get through the rounds it's not gonna be easy but once I get to the final like I said it's like the goal is to win a medal that's the the ultimate goal
0: what's it like to to even state that and and be in the realization that like oh not only am I going to Worlds but like hey this is a very real possibility that could happen
1: yeah I mean I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier just like having that confidence and believing that you can do it um, and you can kind of manifest things that way so yeah I'm just you know hoping that (laughs) having this mindset pays off. And even if I don't win a medal, I'm just going to be hungrier for next year and it's Olympic year and I'm going to have the same goal in mind.
0: How do you build up belief and confidence in yourself, whether it's when you're struggling through a tough time or when things are going well, can you kind of speak to the aspect of trying to build up belief and confidence in yourself specifically going into these big races, these big events?
1: Um, I think I've always had this belief in myself. Um, like I said, I grew up kind of in an unfortunate situation. And I've always had the mindset, like, if I work hard, like, I'll get opportunities. And once I get those opportunities, I'm going to take advantage of them. And so far, that's, that's worked in my favor. So um, I think that's kind of where this personality has come from. And I think, another way someone could gain that confidence, I guess, would be surrounding yourself with other people that think that way. Um, again, like we talked about earlier, the importance of a team and having like-minded people around you, like if, you know, the four people or five people you spend the most time with all like instill you to have that confidence in yourself, you're going to have that confidence in yourself.
0: You have spoken to a few times just how things, haven't always been this way how you've come a long way to to be at this point when you reflect back to your whole life and everything that's taken to get to this point what are the feelings and emotions that come with that reflection
1: I guess I, I always feel proud every time I go to race I try to just think about you know where I've been what I've been through and realize that like this is fun this is the fun stuff like I've worked so hard to have these opportunities and like Let's not waste it. Let's take advantage of these opportunities. So I feel like I've, I go into basically all my races, just excited and, you know, um, proud. It's not like if I have a bad race, I know that doesn't define who I am. And, you know, there's always another opportunity.
0: To fill in the gaps for someone listening who's never heard your story before, can you take me through how you got started in the sport all the way up to kind of signing with Brooksby, so like your career as a whole in a short form?
1: Let's see here. I started track, well, I did summer track as a kid. Obviously, that that wasn't too serious, just for fun. Um, I took some time off in like middle school and freshman year, and I was playing baseball. And then my sophomore year of high school, I got back into track and – Um, I won states in the 800 that year, I started doing track just to kind of stay in shape for basketball. So I wasn't really expecting much for myself. Um, and then going into my junior year, I started getting a bunch of letters from colleges for track and not basketball. And I kind of realized like, Hey, this could take me somewhere and decided to devote more time and energy and focus into the sport. And you know, I went into college, I I didn't have the goal of becoming a professional runner in mind. I, going into college, I didn't realize that professional running was kind of a thing. I didn't go in with the the goal of becoming a professional runner, but it was still that same mindset of like, I have this opportunity, like, let's make the most of it. I want to get a college degree and I want to try to win a national championship. I did everything I could in college and took advantage of the resources provided to me to just like... Be the best athlete possible and more opportunities kept presenting themselves and come my junior year you know i'm going in with the focus of like all right this is the year like i want to win a national championship i had that goal in mind and when i did at that point i well i guess kind of early in the year based off my times i kind of had a idea that there was some interest from some shoe companies but once i won nationals i was like all right this is going to become a reality And yeah, from there, I signed my first contract with Nike, ran for them for three and a half years and stayed with my college coach at Penn State, trained under him, Um, had some ups and downs, some injuries and started to realize I needed to take better care of my body. I think you kind of learn that as you get older, it gets a little bit harder to warm up and cool down and you got to do a few things more than when you're 18 when you can just get up and run and feel good every day but yeah um I kind of missed the team environment training solo and with college guys was it got it got tough after a while so when my contract with Nike expired I was kind of looking at group options and team options and Brooks to me had the best middle distance group in the country and yeah I jumped on that offer
0: what is a, a part of your journey, or the biggest part of your journey, that you feel like most people don't know about, or just misunderstand completely?
1: I don't think a lot of people know like my my background and my my growing up. I grew up super poor in a really poor town, um, single dad, and he just he raised me, my brother, and sister. He was unemployed. We moved a lot. Um, <laughs> Like I was in a homeless shelter for a little bit. I lived with like our godfather, who was actually a big inspiration in me getting into the sport. Um, And yeah, just kind of like what I've been through in the past, I think I don't share it often. So yeah, I think that's that's just something that's not really out there.
0: When you step on the line at a US Champs or next month in Budapest or, or previous races, whether it was in high school in college at Penn State, Did you almost feel like you were running for something more with that background and knowing you had come so far to even get to that point?
1: Yeah, like I said, it's like this is an opportunity. I need to take advantage of it. Um, No one in my family had graduated from college, and I wanted to be the first person to do that. Um, I knew that I needed to make the most of this because I didn't want to go back to my hometown and kind of get stuck in that cycle. So, yeah, it was... There was there was a lot on the line at all times in my head and it would have been a shame to me if i wasted those opportunities by just messing around and you know not taking it serious
0: can you speak about and to some of the individuals who growing up were really fundamentally changing for you and, and helped you get through those tough times you, you mentioned your godfather how he was an impetus for getting into track can you speak to someone like him or other individuals who played a really pivotal role in who I'm talking with today.
1: Yeah. I mean, he he was probably the biggest influence. He was a runner. He was the type of guy that woke up at 4 or 5 a.m. every single day and went and ran, and everyone thought he was crazy because that just wasn't a common thing around where I was from. Um, but he's the one who inspired me to get into track, and he bought me running shoes. He'd drive us to practice. And not only me, he helped out a lot of kids in the community. So it was really cool. To see that and um unfortunately he's passed away now but every time i i race i think about him and how how proud he'd be seeing um what i've accomplished um on top of that i've also when i was a freshman in high school i actually moved in with one of my friends and his parents are saints they've done so much for me they gave me you know stable housing they gave me a safe spot to you know focus on school focus on training and not have to worry about outside things Um, without them. I don't think that I could have got to where I am today. And they also were just great role models, like great people and someone to, or yeah, people that I could kind of find values and just learn right from wrong from.
0: To those who are listening to today's conversation have heard your story, heard the different things you've shared. What is the biggest takeaway message you want our audience to to walk away with today?
1: No matter what your situation is, if you want something, I think it's achievable. I think there's, you know, there's no point in playing a victim mindset. I think when you have confidence that you can achieve something and you do everything that you think you need to do to achieve it, I think, you know, it'll come to you. And yeah, a lot of people have had similar stories where, you know, they've, they've grown up in broken houses or had no money and sports saved them. So I, I think it's a lesson for everyone to learn. Like it's, it's a possibility. And just, if you believe, you know, you can do it.
0: I'm curious, everyone's heard of the guy. I guarantee you've heard of the guy. So curious your thoughts, what are your thoughts on uh, David Goggins? Cause as you were talking there, it's, he has a, a very similar story and, um, he talks to that all the time, the, the victim mindset and trying to break out of it because he had it for so long. Uh, and now the incredible work he's gone on to do he's just he's not human (laughs) so do you know who he is and uh yeah do you know his story
1: I do know who he is and to be honest I haven't read any of his books or really listened to much of his um podcasts or wherever he speaks I don't know but uh I do know my roommate and teammate Henry is like a big fan of him and he actually just told me yesterday that I need to read his book so probably gonna pick that up in the next week. And I've heard about, you know, just kind of the crazy things he's done. And I think that just is another example of, you know, you, you can do things that you might not even think that you can do, you just have to, (laughs) you know, push, you can push yourself to places that people don't think are possible.
0: After this, I'm going to send you, uh, I've listened to like all of his interviews on every major podcast, but I'm going to send you one of my favorites. And then also read Can't Hurt Me and, uh, 142 guaranteed for Isaiah Harris after, after you read Goggins. Yes, <laughs> he's
1: just, <laughs> sounds good. He's like just that. like,
0: you, you are infused with like, uh, just a a different level of purpose and motivation and at least like everyone in my circle who's read him or listened to him it's just like you'll know what I mean after you after you listen or read his book (laughs) he's crazy he's crazy uh well Isaiah it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today one thing I do want to hear about if you're open to sharing I always love hearing about the workouts that instill belief someone into someone going into a big race Was there a a big workout that you nailed going into the U S champs that, that gave you the confidence that you could make the team?
1: Honestly, no. And that's one thing I like about Danny and our coaching styles. We don't do anything flashy. We're not trying to have these big fancy workouts. Like it's all (laughs) all about consistency, staying healthy over time and just training consistent. So there wasn't anything special. Um, but I, I knew I was getting fit and things were trending in the right direction. Um, I could see it in my teammates and their races and just, you know, having seasons best and doing better. And then just how I felt in practice was a big indicator. So I'm sorry. I know it's not the answer you wanted. No, it's the, nothing, it's the it's the best flashy. answer.
0: No, it's the best answer because I think so many people who listen to podcasts like these or, or running podcasts, they always think it's it's the one workout that, that makes or breaks their season or the one workout that, that makes you make the world team. But uh, I always revert back to the Mike Smith quote he said, it's no one workout or yeah, it's no one week. It's no one workout. It's the sum and like the sum of everything, the culmination of all the work, all the work you did at Penn State in high school, that's contributed to the Isaiah Harris we see today, not just the work you did this season or, you know, the the past week or the last workout you did. So it's, uh, maybe yeah. not the flashy answer, but I think it's the right one. And anyone who says there's, there's one workout, um, I think they're lying a little bit. It just looks good for Instagram and TikTok, which is and I'm always yeah. interested, which is why I ask it. So, <laughs> I mean, some of the some of the workout yeah. real videos just do crazy numbers. And I'm like, I'm glad they do well. But also, like, I wish people would understand the, the bigger picture. So, Isaiah, before we wrap up today's conversation, I did ask you about that workout, that leading into USA's, yada, yada, yada. But you made the team. So, take me through uh, your performance and overall the meet at USA's.
1: I just kind of went into USA's excited. And like I said, I knew that things were trending in the right direction. So each round, you know, I was able to just go into the race, not nervous and just excited to to race. I love the race. And like I said, it's the fun part of this job. So I think just having or taking away the pressure and not making USA seem like it was any big, fancy meat kind of allowed me to run better. And yeah, and then just being healthy and consistently training since I shut down my season last year has been um super big on that so yeah the vibes were good i, I mean i was watching nia kind of crush her rounds and just look so great doing it that i was like okay we're ready to go you know the training's working so i drew a lot of inspiration from my teammates and yeah
0: rest is history. What were the the feelings and emotions that you felt crossing the finish line, knowing that you were uh, headed to your second world championships? Yeah, I mean, I
1: was definitely super excited. It's always a great feeling. And um, I think now running for Brooks, Brooks is almost like the underdog company. And I love that. So it feels good to like get that logo on the podium. And I feel like we're starting to, to finally make a name for ourselves and maybe get a little bit of the respect that I think we deserved all along. So it's kind of cool because I feel like I'm running for something bigger than myself in so many different ways.
0: Isaiah, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to, to speak with you, have this conversation. The, the final question I ask every guest on every podcast, the question is, if you had Gordon Ramsay coming over to your house for dinner, what would you choose to make for him?
1: That's, I mean... That's got to be the most intimidating person to have to cook for. So, um, damn. I don't know. Like, do you go, you probably go something simple because you don't want to mess it up and get just absolutely roasted for it. So, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe, maybe just like, some chicken and rice something boring i don't I, I don't want him to be able to criticize me
0: y'all <laughs> just be like oh, this is this is decent for chicken and rice i'll take it but you're right it's not a hard meal uh, yeah to mess up. i'm
1: not i'm not the best i'm not the best cook so i'm not going to try anything flashy for him i'm just going to do something simple where i know you know the meat's going to be cooked and it's going to be edible
0: you'll probably like <laughs> undercook the rice in your bag crap <laughs> I, I overthought it i overthought it um question for you regarding cooking and the team who's the best chef on the team would you say
1: i got asked this yesterday actually oh really i think yeah everyone's actually a pretty like solid cook but i think it's either waleed or marta waleed like he's low-key about it but like he's invited me over for dinner a few times and like cooked up some really good meals um and Marta's kind of like someone that just has a bunch of random ingredients and somehow makes <laughs> like a fire meal out of it. So she's pretty creative. And she's also probably the most like social person on the team. She's always getting everyone together for meals. Um so yeah, definitely definitely one of those
0: two. Well, two things about both of those individuals. Neo was talking about how she always goes to Marta's house because she cooks amazing food, so I think that would be her her uh, pick for that. And then Waleed, uh I don't know if he's ever made these for you or told you about them, but his uh, overnight oats recipe at Ole Miss to this day hits... Uh, Really? Yeah. I
1: haven't even heard about that. That's I don't amazing. know if he, he's low I don't, key about about this
0: stuff. <laughs> I don't know if he uh, still makes them to this day, but there was uh, he was in a uh, so Zach Levitt. I don't know if you know that name, but he used to put out running videos. Yeah. And uh, he visited yeah. Ole Miss for a few days, and he you know shot some content with them, and he stayed at Walid's house. And in the morning, Walid, I think he swears by overnight oats, or he did in college. So <laughs> he made some for Zach, and he like shared the recipe for the viewer. And uh, not only did I make it. And it was fire. But on the video, was like seemed to be very proud of his work. So you'll have to ask him about his <laughs> overnight oats. I'm curious to, to see if he still chefs them up.
1: I'll definitely bring that up. He'll probably be shocked that I know about them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> be like, Ole Miss, bro, Ole Miss. He'll be like, who have you been talking to, man? <laughs> well, Isaiah, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Best of luck with everything upcoming. And, uh, know, I'll be cheering for you next month in Budapest. I won't be in Budapest, but I'll be cheering from far away. So go crush it, man.
1: Sweet. Well, thanks for having me, man. This was fun.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I don't take your time for granted and I hope that today's episode impacted you and left you walking away inspired and all the more motivated to chase after your biggest goals and walking away a better version of yourself. Make sure you're following the podcast, have given us a five-star review and consider sharing with a friend. Through that, we can reach new people and hopefully inspire them in the process. Also, make sure you're following us on social media at The Running Effect to stay up to date on all the exciting projects and all the new episodes coming out generally we release two to three episodes per week so stay tuned for all of those coming your way shortly i hope you're running and life is going well guys keep chasing mastery and i will catch you in next episode